Hey geeks, welcome to the Initiate Splinter Sequence podcast. We're your hosts, Chin Lin and Isaac. And we're here to talk about the hit sci-fi time travel show, 12 Monkeys, created by showrunners Terry Metalis and Travis Fickett. Warning, there may just possibly be spoilers since we're nearing the end of the season. Let's get started with the recap. Okay, so as you may or may not recall from the end of last episode, Jones was delivered to Olivia via Deacon, and Jones seems to have some use to Olivia. Olivia apparently, and we find out, thinks that Jones knows the location of this weapon, and then proceeds to interrogate Jones to try and get the location of the weapon. We also find Hannah, Jones's daughter, and Emma, Olivia's daughter, have separate but dueling storylines in this episode. Uh, I really liked the take on this. I liked uh, seeing how similar yet dissimilar their lives were and how they both ended up where they ended up. Uh, I think what the writers were trying to set up here was to give us a choice uh, between two women that could possibly be Cole's mother, and they start leaning heavily on it being Emma, um, possibly for a fake-out, which we find out later, um, for it to be not Emma. A fake-out? It was a great reveal! I, I guess. It... I love this show for its reveals. Okay. But, I mean, it's predictable in that they're purposely trying to be unpredictable they they push one thing on you fairly handedly and so you can just by the guess go okay well they want me to think it's emma so it's not emma what's my other choice oh it's hannah okay cool all right all right i give we find that out uh in a later episode though that that doesn't that reveal is not here at all um what does happen though is Something close to what I hoped would happen was that they would trick uh, Olivia into uh, using the weapon, uh, presuming that Olivia is the demon, uh, which later we find out that may not be the case. But Jones is able to essentially trick Olivia into going back to 1491, which her uh, 2043 time machine can't do without some sort of beacon or tether or some guiding point to be able to aim at uh, is I guess the best metaphor. I always assumed it was had to do with the amount of power required but that apparently is not the case. They just don't know how to aim that far back. Well they said that um, even if they had even if they were able to aim that far back it's possible that after they carry out the mission their tethers wouldn't hold and they wouldn't be able, it's possible they wouldn't be able to come back to 2043. Now, that's what I had always assumed. I had always assumed that if they went back that far, that they would just be, it's a one-way trip. We can't go back to the future. We will be stuck in the past, so it, we should probably send as few people as possible um, just in case. And then see if we can see any evidence of them succeeding or not succeeding based on historical records that we can try and gather. Okay, so then Emma escapes Titan. Uh, Emma has been tasked with uh, completing Titan via Olivia uh, from Olivia, uh, and that actually is kind of weird to me. The completion seems to be all about uh, Emma just standing in front of a computer screen and looking at a percentage complete number go up. Um, 
even when M is no longer working on it, their percentage complete thing continues to go up. So that indicates to me that all the, I don't know, quote unquote work that's being done is either automated by machines or doesn't really require any human input. So I'm, my question is, what was Emma really doing? Like She was learning stuff from when she was undercover with uh, Elliot Jones. Right. And then, like, she had to use that knowledge to take it to the future and help complete Titan. Yeah, that's where I get the disconnect. I'm like, so she goes to the future and she's supposed to help complete Titan. Okay, cool. But then, I guess, I guess it's just a directing choice I have a problem with. It's like... You're showing her, like, just standing in front of a computer, mostly. Like, I don't... It would seem to me that if there was work to be completed on Titan, it would be, like, actual physical labor that needed to be done to, like, align, I don't know, temporal grids or something. But I digress. Getting back to uh, what Olivia discovers uh, from Jones. Uh, She discovers, A, the theoretical location of the weapon, location and time, Uh, in England in 1491, and so she does take Titan back there. But that's not the only thing she learns. She is actually able to confirm that uh, Deacon is a double agent, so Deacon's life is now in peril. But to me, the most important thing was that she learned the poem, which meant to me that if she was the demon, she knew the poem, and then she would know not to use the weapon, because she's the only one that could use it if she's the demon. So, like... The, the whole game is up at this point to me. I think, oh no, she knows the poem. That means she knows that if she's the demon and time is the snake, that she's the only one that can use the weapon and therefore just has to refrain from using it. So there would be no point in going to the past. So either Olivia does not recognize that she is the demon or something else is going on. And I think that's it for episode seven. On to episode 8. Everyone goes back to 1491. Olivia gets there first via Titan, and she approaches a a knight uh, named Andrus, who apparently is primary, but he rebelled against the other primaries that we saw in episode 1 in that flashback where they're all gathered around the bonfire. So somehow she figures out that this is the one guy she needs help from. Before I go any further, I do have something I want to nitpick about with that opening scene for this episode, where Titan just shows up in the middle of 1491 England, you know, like bright lights and all in the middle of the night, and this isn't mentioned in, like, history books anywhere that the team can, like, read about. Like, did everyone who saw Titan appear die in 1491? I mean, that's that's a pretty good point. Like, yes, how did they cover up the fact that this existed? How was this at least not written down as a legend that a lot of people knew about, right? Like, this this would have been a fairly big happening for anyone in the area. They would, they would have been like, holy crap, some giant thing just appeared. And it's way beyond anything that we understand. It's probably magic. Some people might understand it to be technology, but definitely people would have written about it. At least the people who were blaming the primaries and people like them, calling them heretics. I feel like if they saw Titan, they'd be like, this is sorcery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Olivia gets to 
1491 first, and then the team shows up in a small town where they meet a girl named Chorus. She is the primary girl who we saw in the first episode with the flashback, and they also meet her father when they escape the town because uh, a bunch of knights, including the guy Andrus, they all show up and they uh, pretty much start a scene and drive drive everyone out of there. Chorus is their guide. She leads them to her father's castle, where, lo and behold, Deacon's there. By this point, Deacon knows that his gig is up, and he's there to help our team splinter. Deacon and Jennifer have a moment where they're sitting at a table, and he realizes... Jennifer, you don't have a weapon. Colton Cassie has guns. Like, you need something. So he gives her his knife. His West 7 knife. I just, I just really liked this scene. It, it was very sentimental, and I don't know, I think their friendship has come a long way, and I think that was maybe one sign in the episode that was telling us, hey, something bad's gonna happen to Deacon. Well, yeah, whenever someone gives away one of their most prized possessions to someone else, they're like, it's always foreshadowing that that person is then going to die soon. Unless it's, you know, Westworld, in which case, anytime somebody is having a good conversation, things are going to go bad soon. So, flash forward to when they go into this cave where there's a bunch of steps. Well, I mean, it was sort of a cave. It was... It it lo- it starts out as a cave that they're walking into, and then they climb a bunch of steps, and it leads them to this church. Yeah, it's a church, but it was really just a, a chasm. Like they, there was open sky above them; it was just really narrow. But yeah, a chasm goes up to a church. Church apparently houses uh, what is supposedly the weapon. So you know, we're climbing the steps, and theoretically, we're gonna ring the bell. Uh, they get to this room, and there's this giant carving on the floor of the iconic 12 monkeys symbol with the serpent around it. The team gets here, and we're, like, super excited. They take out the monkey bell from their bag. And then, uh, before, like, anything else happens, like, flames light up. And I'm like, what? How did you guys get technology to get flames to, like, just light up on motion sensing? Like, where did that come from? It's not technology. It's magic. Why would there be magic? I don't know. Everything's mysterious about this show. Like, how are primaries primary? I mean, that's still, like, it's not magic. That's just part of the science of the show, right? They have this idea that there's a time stream and that some people have the ability to envision things outside of their particular time stream that makes sense okay motion sensing flames don't make sense that's all i'm saying all right all right i'm just saying if you don't want to call it magic you can call it something else yeah i'm trying to call it technology but i'm asking where they got the technology from to have motion sensing flames in 1491 there was no technology like that that's what i'm saying so i'm saying it could be magic Ah, I got you there. <laughs> I I don't I don't think the writers intended for intended for it to be magic. Oh, maybe not. But from a fan's point of view, you could say it could be magic because they're not going to have that kind of technology in 1491. I agree with you. And it, we're in a we're in an era where 
there are people who are accused of being heretics who practice things that other people don't understand. And at the time, this was what you could call as magic. Sure, but that's not saying that there is magic. There's just people don't understand a thing. All right, all right. Let's 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 just move on. Okay. <laughs> um, so in the middle of the room, there's already a bell, and they've got their own bell. And watching this, I was really confused. I was like, wait, are there two bells? Are they supposed to connect? Are they supposed to paradox? Um, I've had, I had like all these questions in my head about what was supposed to be going on. And in front of that is like this high chair with two things on the side with spikes. And it, it looks like a time machine. It's a time machine in the past that the primaries left for them. Jennifer is getting, (laughs) being Jennifer, she's getting impatient. So she grabs the monkey helmet bell from Cole. She connects it to the one that's already on the pedestal. And then bright lights. Uh, it starts to like power up the machine, the 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 old time machine. And it looks like this paradox with the two bells is powering up the time machine. But then Olivia and her 12 monkeys guards are already there. They show up just in time and they bring Jones with them. So the whole team is together. Cassie and Andrus, that primary knight who rebelled, they go after the bells and they're both grabbing onto it and they get these white streak in their hair. So now we know where the white streak came from, for Cassie at least. Yeah, it wasn't her living like 30 more years. It was just this thing. One of the bells like turned into dust. Did you remember that part? Yep. Like, mm-hmm. was it one bell or both bells? Uh, from what I remember, it was just the top one. The top one. Okay, that's what I thought. So now Olivia is calling the shots here. She's got everyone hostage. She orders Andrus to behead Deacon. Well, Cole first, and then Deacon understands what's going on and sacrifices himself by essentially goading her. Because, you know, he can't just go down and watch. Or he can't just watch Cole die. So he's got to, you know, be a cool man and sacrifice himself. So that happens, and Jennifer cries, and Cole is also about to be beheaded, and it's really, I mean, we know he's going to be alive, so something has to happen at this point to save him, and this is when the vest appears, because earlier in the episode, Dr. Adler in 2043 is trying to fix um, Athan's time travel vest. And he finally gets it to work again, and he transports it back to 1491 very accurately because it appears right in front of Cole. And I'm just like, that's just super convenient that it worked out that way. Because they were so worried about their time machine not being able to go back that far accurately where they needed to be. But I don't think they ever had that sort of uh, that sort of concern about the vest. Because the vest is newer. more advanced. Yeah, newer technology. And Cole uses it to be able to travel back and forth and save the others. And everybody ends up back in 2043. And they want to be able to go back to 1491 again to save Deacon. But before they get a chance to do that, Olivia uses Titan to paradox the church and destroy the weapon. And they're like, 
We can't go back! The weapon is gone! What do we do now? Deacon is gone! We can't save him anymore! And see, this is where I have to draw the line and say that makes no sense. Because if you're in 2043, and the church has been paradoxed back in 1491, and that keeps you from going there, that means the Vest can never get there. None of this, like, none of that whole scene could have happened, because the place got paradoxed. You can't you can't ever travel back in time there unless you're traveling to a time that's before 1491 and then traveling then again forward to 1491 because you do it before it happens. But if paradoxing the place erases it from being able to be time-traveled to, that would erase it from being able to be time-traveled to ever, not just... It would erase it from existence, right? Essentially, so they yeah. They can't... It would erase them ever going back there. Yeah, so the the vest wouldn't have been able to be to show up because if it was just a matter of like, oh, we went too far in the future in twenty forty three, you'd been like, okay, well, I'm going to wear the vest and I'm going to go back two days in twenty forty three and then ask you to give me some coordinates to get me back to fourteen ninety one because the place hasn't been paradoxed yet at my time and then yeah, so I don't know this whole thing of time streams running in parallel just doesn't make any sense like if something happened in the past it happened in the past and if it didn't happen in the past it didn't happen in the past but it can't do both you ranted about this in one of our earlier podcast episodes and, um, so it's a reoccurring thing with the writers and unfortunately the show's already almost over so done. they can't do anything they about can't it. fix it but I'm, I'm just saying that's that's my biggest bone to pick your biggest feedback for Terry Metalis and Travis Fickett. Yes. <laughs> if you guys are watching, this this is my biggest bone. And listening, you're not watching. This isn't a TV show. Um, I remember when we were discussing this right after watching, we were thinking maybe the time machine, the the time machine in the past wasn't the weapon. If they've paradoxed the church and destroying the weapon? Yeah, so as soon as they destroy the church, I'm like, well, that seems like that's not the weapon then, because it, it can't be. And in fact, at the end of this episode, I start thinking Olivia is probably not the demon. Because if, the, if we follow the poem, right, and so there's a serpent that was always traveling in a straight line, all right, well... That represents time. Time is a vector, a unidirectional vector, so it only goes in one direction. Great. Awesome. Then time encounters a demon, and the demon makes time go insane and starts swallowing its own tail, being a metaphor for time starting to loop back on itself over and over again, right? Okay, well, what would be the thing that caused time to start looping back on itself over and over again? It would be time travel itself. So the invention of time travel is really the demon. And so who invented time travel? Jones. All right, well then, I'm guessing Jones or Elliot is more likely the demon in this case, but I don't have anything necessarily to back it up at the end of episode eight. Uh, just to clarify, time is the serpent. Yeah, what did I say? Demon. Oh, yes. Time is the serpent. Sorry. Alright, on to episode 9. Um, I really enjoyed this episode. I think it was very, very well done. We start off with Jennifer collapsing because she just drew a shit ton of primary symbols all over the facility. At least, I think that it started in her room and then like she went 
into another big room where they find her. And we realize that all this, all these symbols are a spiral. Puzzle pieces that just kind of go together and they represent code for the time machine? Yeah, something like that. It's, uh, it's essentially meant to be instructions for building a machine uh, from what they gather. The, uh, the purpose, theoretically, of it being to fix whatever's wrong with, um, with time. And this uh, is probably the weapon that, that the primaries have built. So, or the seers, if you're following along the poem. When they process all of this code in their computer, they realize they're all, they contain all the dates where they've splintered to. And not, not just the dates, but all of their uh, locations and cities that they've all splintered to. And there's one date that they haven't gone to, so that's where they go. April 3rd, 2018, New York. JFK Airport. This is actually two days before the plague happens. They realize, okay, April 3rd, 2018, this is when the plague is going to be released. So they go back to 2018 and they find the pallid man already at JFK Airport. And they think he's the one who dropped the vial containing the virus. They see the pallid man walking away, decide that they were too late and so they need to go back earlier. They grab the broken vial, go back to the future, and then figure out that they could probably get that same vial out of the Mark Ridge facility if they just go a little bit further back in time. Yes. So they go back further in time, they get the vial, they take it all the way to the Emerson Hotel, and then go, well, that was too easy. And it was at that point, essentially, that they go, oh, it's us. We're supposed to get rid of it. They're chasing their own tails again. Yes. Um, so it's a tough decision knowing that they're the ones who started this. That ends up killing 7 billion people. Right. But they go the back- reason And the reason they make that choice is right now to them, they see it as either 7 billion people die and we go into this ridiculous time loop or... Seven billion people don't die, and uh, we enter the Red Forest, and so everyone dies for all time. And so that's how Cassie is essentially reasoning that she can release the virus. Back in 2009, we find out that Hannah and Emma are being chased by a bunch of people in the car. They're like they're they're driving off, and there's people shooting at them from the car behind them. Right. And my question was, this was right after she finds. This is right after Hannah finds Emma at the bar, where we we know from episode seven, Emma has chosen the name Marion Woods. And actually, this this whole the whole night is crazy for them. So first. I just, I just don't know who's chasing them and why. Yeah, that's a very good question because that so far remains unanswered because whoever was chasing them did a horrific job at it. So first, Hannah is out on a date and ends up stabbing a guy in the chest with a bottle and is then somehow not detained by the police or even like held for questioning or anything like that and is just allowed to 
go out to another club that night if she wants, which she then does, goes and finds Emma, under who is playing at being someone named Marion Woods. And then some people start shooting at them, presumably people from Titan that are trying to hunt Emma down and end her because Olivia has uh, asked for Emma's cycle to be ended. Hannah uh, obviously rescues her, quote-unquote rescues her, and they start driving off into the night, which, I don't know, still also raises the question, how did Hannah get the press clipping with Marion's name in it, but we'll just leave that to me not paying close enough attention to what the actual news article said. We'll just assume that someone else did know her there and reported her missing after that. They ended up driving down some country road and then somehow some car just starts ramming them from behind and shooting at them from behind when that's like the worst way to shoot someone if you're going to shoot them while driving. The better way would be to, you know, drive up till you're parallel with them like you were going to pass them, roll down your window, and then shoot them. But no, we get this thing where they get all scared and, I don't know, drive off the road. They crash their car and they're both injured. They walk out into the woods and come across this RV area, and they meet Cole's dad! And so, now the audience is definitely given the choice, okay, one of these two is uh, Cole's mom, and through all the narration from Hannah from the previous episodes, you're like, ah, it's probably Emma, but like I said, those writers always trying to force you to go one way, so you should expect the other way at the end. So... This is where the two stories will overlap. When Cassie and Cole go up to the Emerson Hotel room, they find Hannah there. Hannah tells Cole what Marion was like and how it was like for her to give up Cole as a baby. Cole and Cassie make the decision to go back to JFK Airport and he gives Hannah the tether shot so she can go back to 2043. And so... We're thinking, okay, so she's had her time in the past, now she can go back home to her mother. And it turns out she chose she chose not to do that. When they're at the airport, Olivia is controlling a bunch of people, so she's watching over Cassie and Cole as everything is going down. And she controls a cop to kill uh, Cole with his gun. But when he shoots at Cole, Hannah gets in the way, so she t- takes the bullet. And that's when we see the reveal that Hannah has been Cole's mom this entire time, which means Jones has been his grandmother this entire time, and it's all so amazing, and I love this reveal, and Isaac is, like, rolling his eyes at me. (laughs) I mean... I got too excited, but I thought it was a good reveal, and I'm glad it turned out that way. I mean, it sucked that Emma ended up dying, and so because she was the one who chose Marion's name and or chose Marion for her name, and it ended up being Hannah who was Marion. I mean, it didn't actually really matter which of the two was his mom because either way, he was still a Jin, like he was still created through time travel, uh, which was the problem to begin with. So didn't matter whether it was Emma or Hannah I mean I guess it's nicer that it's it works out better for me that it's Hannah (laughs) just because it's like it ties more into Jones being the demon um that started the whole thing with the with the time travel but it could have just as easily had been uh Olivia being the demon if if uh Emma had been his mom 
um, because the that would have also been just as interesting because Olivia would have essentially created the hunt for her, her own death. But now what it's... I, and I think I talked about this uh, in the last episode. Like, I think it's going to come down now to Cole, uh, like I said, sacrificing himself for everyone else. Now, I, it's going to be a tough decision for him, which he may or may not do, because he... In, in one of these episodes, I forget which one, uh, we someone mentioned killing Olivia and someone else said, what could be worse than death? And he said, not existing. So he absolutely wants to exist. The only reason he's done this is so that his existence will, like this whole series, the only reason he's done any of these actions is so that he won't have to in a different life. But he wants that life to exist. Unfortunately for him, the only way that a good life can exist for everyone else is for him to not exist at all. And so uh, we've already seen that Cassie uh, doesn't necessarily like the idea of not being with Cole, and she's uh, halfway working towards the Red Forest, it seems like, because she's like, yeah, let me just drop this file. I'm like, "Ah, no, you had a chance. You could have finally broken out of the loop, but you're like, nah, I'm going to go ahead and keep going with this loop because I like the loop. So we've already seen her uh, lean towards the idea of her life being more important or her feelings being more important than like the 7 billion people that die from the plague. Uh, but she kind of rationalizes it, rationalizes it as they're not all dead. They all get to live in happy, happy Memoryville. I think Cole... Uh, is going to look at it differently, but we'll probably want the same end, at least for a little bit in this last episode, where he's going to think, well, I'd rather exist even in this shitty existence than not exist at all. Uh, we'll have to see what choice he actually makes. I mean, I could be wrong. We only that's... have two episodes left next week. so right. I think that's where all of this is headed. I thought that Cole was going to have to sacrifice himself for a long time since season one i mean and then they had a little teaser that uh kind of backs this up where uh for next episode we hear cole say something along the lines of we can have forever or we can have now indicating that you know he understands that they can either be together forever in this infinite um loop or in the red forest or they can just be together for now and then he never exists, I think, is what the implication of that line is, but we'll have to see. I think it's really interesting, because when this whole show started out, it was all about the mission to save these 7 billion people to stop the plague. And, and they kind of did that. They set the plague back a few years. And I think they're going to... I think the reason they gave Cassie their white streak in her hair is so that they can actually recreate that scene from season one i think they'll someone will figure out that that they that they released the plague in 2018 and so someone will go back to stop them in 2018 and then someone will go back to release the plague again in 2017 oh lord and that's how we get the older cassie going yeah it was wrong of me i should not have released it and i'm gonna work on curing it and that's why she's working on curing it in 2017 with a white streak in her hair well, when we talked about this in another podcast episode, we were we were wondering how she how her story would end 
because we saw that ending where she dies at the CDC. And I think that only happens in the situation where Cole does not sacrifice himself and he does not choose to not exist. But we shall see. We've only got two more episodes left. I mean, I'm getting a lot of Neo vibes from The Matrix here. Like, everyone's like, James Cole. And like, he's not the one, guys. I mean, he is sort of the one, but less ham-fisted about it, I guess. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, 12 Monkeys Season 4, Episodes 10 and 11, the series finale, and airs on Friday, July 6th on the Sci-Fi Channel. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at geekgals.co. And we are also on Twitter at geekgalsco without a dot. And we're happy to take your questions. You can email us at contact at geekgals.co. And until next time, guys. <laughs>